0: I started to believe that maybe my story could be different. The more I kind of learned about the possibility of birthing without an epidural, it just seemed like there's a lot to learn and it's really overwhelming. How do we get to that level of intimacy that I can feel safe with my partner during birth?
1: Hi, I'm Jacqueline Carmen, and I'm a certified breastfeeding counselor. And I'm Ruth Green, an international birth doula. And this is the Having a Baby in China podcast. reminder, this podcast is for educational and entertainment purposes only and should not be taken as medical advice. The views expressed here are the personal opinions of individuals and do not necessarily reflect any official stance or recommendation by having a baby in China.
2: Hey, Jacqueline. How are you? Hey, Ruth. How are you doing? I am good. Yeah, I think so. We went on a little trip last week, so that was fun. We just went to a little city a couple hours away. Actually, I took all four kids on my own there (laughs) by, by train. It's an adventure. Yeah. You know, and it was it was crazy just thinking how much older my kids are and that like the older two could really help. And that like the biggest thing is that China was open. We didn't have to show a single green code. We did have to wear masks like on the train and public transport and stuff. But like we didn't have to take COVID tests. And so it just felt so much more manageable. The biggest issue is that because we don't drive, I can't take a taxi with all four of my kids. So mm, yeah. I have to take a six seater van, which are actually like super hard to find. But anyways, it was a good trip. And then I took them there and then my husband was on a work trip and then he met us there and we had fun going around for just a couple days and then we came back. So we've been trying to get back into routine this week. But how are you? Mm,
1: yeah, pretty good. Yeah, not much. Same old, same old. Yeah. So yeah, today we're having a special guest, Mandy. We're excited to have Mandy on the podcast today. Hi, Mandy. Hi, Jacqueline. Hi, Ruth. So good to have you today. How are you? I'm doing well today.
2: The weather has been really oh, nice in Shanghai. Is it getting warm there finally? Like it's it's so cold here. Yes, um, it's a pleasure to be here. Mandy, can you tell us a little bit about you, where you live, who's in your family and what you do? Sure.
0: I live in Shanghai. Uh, I have been living here for the past coming on 10 years. I am the mother of two children, a cat and a dog. uh, (laughs) And I live in Shanghai with my husband. Mm -hmm. Um, I am a certified birth educator with Childbirth International. And yeah. (laughs) And where are you from originally? I am from Melbourne, Australia, and my kids are three and six months. Oh,
1: he's still so little. Yeah, very,
0: very little.
1: And what brought you to China? Oh, that's a great question. I came on a journey
0: of Mm self-discovery. I was meant to be here for six months, and like so many of us, I ended up staying, and I have now built my family here and yeah i don't think we're going anywhere anytime soon so and your husband where is he from so my husband is from canada um he's from vancouver we both we're both um chinese so he was born in hong kong i was born in guangzhou
3: Mm.
0: um, but immigrated to our respective countries when we were very young Oh, okay Mm. Yeah, so we have kind of the in between, you know. We're we're not quite locals, but we're also not quite mm. completely foreign either. Yeah. Mm. So it's actually an interesting experience because you know, language wise, we can understand a lot more. Culturally, we can probably understand a lot more, um, but at the same time, a lot of things are still foreign to us, and it can be a it can be quite challenging sometimes.
1: Um, that feeling of in betweenness, yeah. Okay, so tell us a little bit about the birth of your first child. Sure. So Ella, my
0: first, uh, she just turned three uh, a couple of weeks ago, actually. And I gave birth to her in Shanghai. I had a an unmedicated water birth with her wow. um, at a private hospital here. Um, it was with the the Ferguson team for, oh, okay. for people mm-hmm. that are, are based in Shanghai. And I, I think a lot of people that are based in Shanghai will, will have heard of the team. Yeah, and that was 3 years ago. It was an incredibly powerful and beautiful experience. Mm-hmm. Intense, extremely extremely intense. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was beautiful. Mm-hmm. Um I left that birth really feeling like a very different person in, mm-hmm. in a very mm-hmm. positive way. Mm-hmm. And I felt like I had a very big rebirth actually.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, and yeah and everything everything changed for me from that point onwards
1: how did you choose that like not very many people would be like oh I want a water birth for my first like Mm. what led you to to Ferguson to choosing a water birth I didn't know actually Mm -hmm. I even though I grew up in Australia
0: I'm quite familiar with you know going to the beach, going to the pools and just being in water, I wouldn't say that I grew up being very athletic or I, I or very nature-y. So, like, actually it, it was kind of a very foreign concept to me to have a water birth. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I would say that it was more like a gradual process. So with preparing for my first birth, I did, you know, I guess all the – in my mind it was like i never paid any attention to birth before i was pregnant with my daughter um i didn't listen to any birth stories i didn't even really pay attention when my friends were talking about their birth you know I, it was just something that was so beyond my my comprehension mm-hmm. i wasn't even sure if i wanted to have children and when i became pregnant i think it was just like okay well this is a thing that i now need to prepare for and and i guess i just approached it with like i had a look at some books and I found some books to be, I don't know, I, I guess I I found some books to be like, whoa, well, like I don't know if I like the way that this information is presented to me. Hmm. Um and so I would kind of read it a little bit and then I'm like, no, I can't get into this, so I'll put it mm-hmm. down. And mm-hmm. I think I went through quite a number of really popular books
3: mm-hmm.
0: um and kind of had the same reaction. Hmm. And then I came across a book called Nurture when I was traveling, back when we could travel. Mm
3: -hmm. When I was
0: in San Francisco, it was a a book called Nurture. And it just seemed like it was very, um, it was Mm -hmm. very gentle and non-judgmental with the way that it was presenting information. And I think, I guess the reason why some of the other books didn't really appeal to me was it felt so, like, Telling me what I needed to do with my body or like Mm -hmm. telling me all the things. And I wanted to have choice. I wanted to feel like I, I, I I have choice. And this was, this is just me reflecting on it now. Mm -hmm. And I remember that was kind of like, okay, I can actually sit down and read this book now. And, and it, It was, yeah, it was very neutral. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and so that was kind of what started me on it. And then I knew I needed to go do birth classes at the hospital because that's just what people do. Mm -hmm. I mean, that was just what my assumption was, just Mm -hmm. to to do the classes at the hospital. And Mm -hmm. then that was kind of my my idea of it going in. And then I had a friend that that became a, a new mother. And I remember talking to her about some of the fears that I had about going into motherhood hm and the fears were more actually related to me becoming a mother because I didn't, I, I spent some of my childhood being separated, actually most of my childhood being separated from my mother. And mm. and so we had a very similar experience in terms of life. And and so when she became a mother first, we had conversations and I was like, I don't know how to navigate this emotional side of being pregnant and becoming a mom. Mm. And so she actually suggested for me to go see a psychologist that was based here at the time. and. The psychologist was working at a private local hospital here. She was mm. a, a foreign woman named Hattie. And she was also running Lamar's classes at the hospital. Mm. And I remember after the first initial meeting with her, she invited me to the classes. And she was like, just come along. If you wanted to, yeah, just come and join if you wanted. And it was a very open invitation. And I thought okay well why not it was a series of I think six classes or something like that and I remember at that point I had kind of you know done a little bit of research I wouldn't say extensively but I knew enough about how if for example if a woman was to to get an epidural um, that there could be a cascade of interventions that come after that And for me, I really wanted to avoid that. So I I had an intention to avoid the cascade of interventions. I didn't Mm -hmm. want to potentially, I wanted to decrease my chances of of having a cesarean. I knew that I wanted to avoid getting an epidural if it was a possibility for me. But I remember when I went to Hattie's class and I remember, I think it was the first class and I was sitting there with probably there was about 10 other women that were sitting Mm -hmm. there and we were all seated kind of in a row. And I remember she came and she looked at us and she said, what do you think birth is like? And every single one of us kind of said, painful, it's excruciating, it's horrible. Like we didn't have anything good to say about birth. And she went around the room and she looked at us and she looked at each one of us in the eye. And I remember this so clearly, she looked at each one of us in the eye and she said, how do you know? And that question really kind of shook me a little bit. And in that moment, I was like, wow, yeah, like, how do I know? And then of course, like all the women in the room were saying, oh, you know, my mom told me, the movie said so. But again, that question really stuck with me. I sat there and I was like, wow, no, how do I know? And it was that question that kind of gave me a hint of hope, I guess. And so yeah, and so then it was at that particular moment that I started to believe that maybe my story could be different. And so with that, I kind of from that class onwards, I kind of was like, well, okay, how can I be more open to this idea of birth not being a negative experience? Yeah. And with that, I think it was actually Hattie was the first person to kind of suggest the idea of a water birth. And I was like, water birth? I don't know. I'm not sure about this. I remember I even thought about it in my mind. And I was like, well, you know, like, I don't know if that sounds like a good idea, you know, like just you know being all slippery and and <laughs> i don't know it just didn't seem like my kind of thing to do but as i approach birth and the more i kind of learned about the possibility of birthing without an epidural it just seemed like it can't be a bad idea to have mm-hmm. a birthing pool ready like it's just a good option to have like I don't need to go in it if I don't want to, but it would be great to have it there if in that moment I choose Mm. to use it. And so I asked my insurance company if it was something that would be covered and they actually said yes. And so it was an easy decision from that point.
1: Yeah. So you talked a little bit about yourself and your journey and educating yourself in preparing for giving birth to your first child. How about your partner? Was there any preparation that he did separately or together? So interestingly enough, I didn't realize how important it
0: was for him to prepare, especially mm-hmm. for the birth of our daughter. Like I I mean, he came to some classes and it was like we also did this birthing. I think it was called Birth with Partners. It was by a yoga teacher. Um, my name is Maureen. It was beautiful. It was a, a, mm. a I think three-hour class where we kind of learned of the basics of labor and we did some meditations together. She showed us some comfort measures and it was beautiful. I remember at the end of that class, we like looked into each other's eyes and, and there were tears. And it was it was mm. just like a really beautiful, mm. connected kind of class. But mm. I didn't realize how much we needed to prepare for it together for mm. for us to I didn't realize that there was a need for us to be a team mm-hmm. and actually interestingly enough the reason why I got a doula for the first birth was I thought oh I don't know how my husband is going to be during this birth mm. it yeah. would be great to have someone else there that can kind of be almost like the buffer Mm -hmm. between what is happening with me and for him to kind of have a little bit more context. And I felt safe in knowing that there was an additional person to support him if we needed. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I would say that like we did prepare, but I didn't understand the extent of how much we could have prepared Mm -hmm. together and how we could have made that really an experience that, that could have taken a very, very, different and more connected
1: form. Mm. So what kind of role did your partner play in your first birth and then going into your second, contrasting Mm. like what you did for your first and then going into the second and what you prepared and did and then for comparing that to the second. Sure. So I actually
0: remember like with my first birth the moment like we were holding hands for a long time during the labor I was already in the pool and we were already holding hands for a long time but I remember actually at one point I looked down and I saw how white his knuckles were (laughs) and then I looked up and I looked up at his face and I could see that he was shaking and absolutely like understandable because I remember I was very very like in my body, I was making a lot of sounds and I was in what I describe, you know, a very, very animalistic state.
3: Mm-hmm. And I
0: remember it was like, and I just, I just looked at him and I was like, ooh, I asked for my doula at that point, actually. And I was mm-hmm. like, okay, I, I need someone else. I need a different kind of energy. And I remember at the moment she held my hand, I looked down at her and I looked into her face and how calm she was. Instantly, mm-hmm. I was like, whoa, okay, no, I'm okay. Like, I'm okay here.
3: Mm, yeah,
0: And it was just a very different experience because I think that like, I mean, he had never been in that situation before. So I,
3: mm-hmm.
0: I mean, I, he reacted and his reaction was a very natural response to not having been mm-hmm. in that yeah. situation before. Mm-hmm. And I yeah. think because he was uncertain, it made me uncertain. Mm-hmm. Mm. But the moment that switched and and I held my doula, Mindy's hands, it was like there was that instant reassurance of like, oh, okay, I'm actually doing okay here. I don't need to be afraid. Mm -hmm. And so... Yeah. And so, so that was kind of like the first birth. Mm -hmm. And then I remember looking back on the first birth and going, thinking, wow, I could have actually had that opportunity with my husband for him to Mm -hmm. be that person of Mm -hmm. reassurance for me. Mm -hmm. But I didn't know for the first birth that I could work towards that.
3: Mm -hmm. And Mm
0: -hmm. so with the birth of our son, Ralph, um, who was six months old, we prepared differently in the Mm -hmm. sense that I was a lot more open to him about my fears. Mm -hmm. I was a a lot mm-hmm. more open with him and communicating each step of the way about what I needed from him. So we we decided to have our daughter there because we had never really been separated from her ever since she was born, and I didn't want the birth of our son to be that mm-hmm. moment.
2: Yeah,
3: mm-hmm. and so
0: we wanted yeah. her there, and so of course, like I wanted him to be that person for me, and mm-hmm. we prepared for that. But mm-hmm. I think as the pregnancy kind of unfolded and, and the further along we went, it became more obvious that I needed him to be that person for her to to be that
3: mm-hmm. yeah.
0: that place of security for my for for our daughter, so that she could feel safe during this big transition. Yeah, and so the role for him evolved. I felt so safe knowing that she was with him, Mm -hmm. that I didn't need to worry about her because she was with him. And so we prepared differently, um, but it was really still very much going towards the idea of, okay, what do I need in that moment to feel supported? Mm -hmm. And really being really clear with him on what the expectations are and what I envision for his role to be. But up until the moment of birth, we Didn't know how it was going to unfold. We didn't know. I didn't know if I needed for him to be there for me more. Mm. So we prepared kind of for both scenarios. Yeah. And so I would say that we prepared differently for the second birth, but Mm -hmm. really with the intention of we need to be partners in this. I need for you to do things for me so that I can do the job of birthing our child
3: Mm -hmm. Mm
0: -hmm. and of course, that looks different for for each birth. And yeah, I'm I'm glad that we went in the second time with a little bit more awareness.
2: What you were sharing about looking into the doula's eyes and receiving that piece from her that really, you know, spurred on the energy or, you know, your sense of safety. Uh, It reminded me actually of Dr. Bradley, who is like kind of the founder of the Bradley method, which is a whole nother topic that we don't need to get into today. He was the first doctor or one of the first doctors to put the movement to have the dads into the birth room because his experience was he was an obstetrician and he would be there with the mom as she's giving birth. And there would be this huge release of oxytocin because that is what causes birth to happen is oxytocin. And he said over and over again, you know, he'd deliver this mom's baby and then they would look into his eyes and they're like, Dr. Bradley, thank you so much. I just love you so much. And he's like, this is the experience that they need to be having with their husband, not with me. And, you know, I'm here as an obstetrician to make sure that like, things are going the way they should be but the husband needs to be here to be holding the mom's hand and to be sharing that like really intimate powerful moment and so then when people ask me like why do you have a doula i'm like well my job is to be there because yes he did a great thing like he started the movement of getting the dads into the birth room but like you're talking about you know Everything is new to them. Like if everything is new to us before we get pregnant, it's new to them like times a million. They don't have cycles. They don't have ovaries. Like Mm -hmm. they 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 don't know what's, you know, anything about this. And then we're trying to make them learn all of it in the space of a few weeks or a few months. And so like that's a lot. And so then as a doula, I go in to support the husband and the birthing mom together, you know, and sometimes that's showing the husband how he can support mom. And sometimes that's giving the dad a spell so that he can go to the bathroom and get a drink or whatever. And I'm there. But yeah, I think that that's really important that the husband be there, but with proper support and proper preparation and all of that, because it can be really powerful, it can be really moving and provide a sense of security. But there needs to be a little bit that goes along with it.
0: Right. So actually, I have some thoughts about this. I think that regardless of how we feel about it, culturally now, it is kind of the norm for the dads to be there, right? Yeah. Whereas literally up until, I would say even this generation, yeah. women were giving birth with other women. Mm-hmm. You know, it wasn't that long ago where this shift kind of happened for, for husbands to be there or partners to be there. And, and, mm-hmm. and I think that there is a really big opportunity for something really beautiful to happen, but It is not always the case that that is happening. Mm -hmm. I have probably spent, because of my experience with my daughter, um, birthing my daughter and how positive that experience was, I have spent the last three years really diving really deep into birth education and into stories of women and Mm -hmm. stories of dads too and, and how their experience was. And there are two stories that really come to mind for me one experience was from a really good friend of mine and he told me that when he went into the birth space it was almost like he was in the way and he was Mm. being treated like Mm. he was in the way Mm. and he felt really helpless he Mm -hmm. felt like he was not welcome there that he was just a nuisance kind of um and
3: Mm.
0: he did not have a good time and he really took that to heart because you know, it it should have been a really beautiful experience for him too. Mm
3: -hmm. Um,
0: And so, you know, that was a story that really kind of stuck with me. and, And I always reflect and think about that. And then in contrast to that, I interviewed the partner of another friend of mine, and he was the main support partner. This was I think 2021, right, when COVID was still a very big thing and they couldn't actually have their daughter at the home birth center that they were birthing at in Canada. Mm -hmm. And he was the main Mm -hmm. birth partner for her. And she had like a 30-something hour labor, and he was the Mm -hmm. main support person. And he actually caught their daughter as she came Mm -hmm. out. And Mm -hmm. I remember he said, I asked him, I was like, how did it feel for you to receive your daughter in that way? And he said, I never felt more like a man. Hmm. Mm -hmm. And I was like, wow, you know, and and just the contrast of those two stories of like, you know, allowing for the partner to have a really active role, to be that person of support is so different to, you know, a a dad coming into the birth space and then, then, you know, just just, you know, the general energy is just. You shouldn't be here. You know, what if you faint? And just having Mm -hmm. that narrative, like, of course, there is fear and anxiety because you are witnessing the person you love being in a state of pain and discomfort. Mm -hmm. That can't be an easy feeling, you know, and to be helpless in that situation. That must be really tough. And I think we need to acknowledge that. But then I also do believe that that generally partners want to support mm-hmm. the women as they're giving birth, but they need to be given the opportunity and they need to be given the knowledge and they need to be given the tools to be able to do that. And I don't think that we are doing that very well as a society. And um, I don't think the general culture around that is very good at the
3: moment.
2: Yes. I think that the message kind of stopped with. Like dad should be in the birth room because, you know, it's their birth too. It's their baby too. But that's kind of where the message stopped. Right. And that's not setting them up for a good birth experience. One of the most pivotal moments for this, for me in this was I remember being called to a birth uh, in the middle of the night and the mom is having pretty strong contractions like four or five minutes apart. And the dad is standing there with like so much anxiety on his face, like his arms at his sides, like. She's in pain. I don't know what to do. Like, help please, you know? And all I did was I walked in with my calm voice. And I said, you know, hi guys, how are you doing? And then I took the dad's hands and I just showed him how to like stroke down her back and the areas that would be good to, you know, to massage. You know, we talked with her about the pressure, like what felt good, what didn't. And then I said, you know, I'm gonna give you guys some moments of privacy. And then I walked out of, you know, I mean, I said, was that okay with you? Of course. And then I actually left the room for like 40, 45 minutes and they just had this like oh, peaceful, like beautiful. time of working through it together where he wasn't just like, ah, she's in pain. What do I do? And she's not standing there by herself, like suffering, you know, and I was in the room next door. So like they could call me at any point. And it was such a great like it's just so clear, such a clear picture in my mind still to this day, like walking into the room and seeing this poor dad just completely helpless. What do I do? Uh, and being able to just do simple things to really include him in the birth. I tell my clients, I'm never there to separate you two. It is not my role as a doula to come in and replace the dad or to stick him in the corner so I can go over and work my magic, so to speak. I don't have magic, but, you know, (laughs) it's my job is to help them bring together. There's some sort of statistic, and I wish I remembered the numbers, but, like, it was basically that birth can either make a marriage stronger or it can make it worse. Like there's a certain number right. of people that are like, my marriage was so much worse after the birth or it was so much better after the birth. There's not a whole lot like right in the middle of mm-hmm. the road. Yeah. And I think proper support really can indicate which way that's going to go.
0: Yeah, that's really beautiful. Thank you for sharing, Ruth. And and, and I really believe that also it's, it's related to if we think about the physiology of birth. Mm -hmm. So I'm talking about physiology, not in terms of like, oh, the baby's traveling through the birth canal and and, and, the baby's out. (laughs) Just that simple. I'm talking about the physiology of birth in terms of the hormones and and the the hormones flowing. And what we really need to be encouraging for a lot of women and what they don't understand is that we need to be encouraging the flow of oxytocin right? Absolutely. And the the flow of oxytocin is really related to a sense of safety, Mm -hmm. a sense of love and a sense of calm and all the beautiful things that come with connection. Mm -hmm. And this is where I really see the opportunity with partners. When a woman goes into labor, actually the birth partner, whether it is the dad or whether it is uh, the same sex partner, whoever it is, that person is actually the person that the woman knows, like that's actually the person that knows the woman best. Mm -hmm. They have the most rapport with that woman. They have the most connection with that woman. So actually there is a really big opportunity for them to work together and for that person to be a person of trust, for that Mm -hmm. person to be a a, a source of comfort Mm -hmm. and in conjunction with having a person like a doula, it can really be a really nice, cohesive team.
3: Yeah,
2: You know,
0: the the doula can provide a lot of really technical and and technical skills on how to to relieve pain, for example. But really, the the, the dad could really be a source of comfort and safety, emotional comfort and safety. And Mm -hmm. what couples really, I think, should be working towards is How do we get to that level of intimacy Mm -hmm. that I can feel safe with Mm -hmm. my partner during birth? How can I get to that place of vulnerability where I could scream, cry, Mm -hmm. be in the most discomfort I will probably experience in my life and be held and seen Mm -hmm. by this person that I have chosen to be the father of my child? -hmm. And so it's really quite a profound thing to talk about,
1: but I I really also see it as an opportunity.
3: Yeah,
0: for the reasons that I just mentioned.
1: Yeah, listening to you again, I learn and make more connections um, through my story, just like in in life and doing this podcast. You know, (laughs) I'm constantly learning. Um, But what you're saying is reminding me of my birth and you know my my husband and working together. And just, uh, we were talking and kind of reflecting on previous births and like, I don't remember exactly what I was saying or asking, but he was like, I have a hundred percent confidence in you. You know what you're doing. Your body knows what to do, you know? So I'm like, Oh, actually that then gave me Mm. more confidence in like, okay. Yeah. He's not, he's not worried about me. He's not scared Hmm. for me. He's, he's like, you've got this. I'm just here to support you.
0: Right. Some people talk
1: about birth like as
0: if it's climbing Mount Everest, right? It's actually like, you know, we pity women for going through that process. It's really, you know, like culture looks at it and go, poor you, you have to go through this extremely painful experience. But really what we're looking at is we are looking at the body performing at its peak. Mm -hmm. That is what we're really looking at. We don't pity athletes or people that choose <laughs> to run a marathon, we don't pity them for going through that process, right? It's, mm-hmm. it's really yeah. your body is performing at its peak. And yes, mm. it is intense and it can be painful. But what women really need around her is for her support team to be like, hey, you know what, you can do this. And to be in an environment where they feel safe enough that their physiology allows for the oxytocin to flow and for their bodies to be able Mm -hmm. to release the hormones that the woman needs in order to have that pain relief naturally.
2: Yes. Mm
0: -hmm. And so, you know, The people that are in the birth space, whether it is the doula or the husband or or the the obstetrician or the midwives, they have a really important role to play. They're the people that is standing Mm -hmm. with you as you are climbing that mountain. Do you want people around you to say to you, hey, you can't do this here. Why don't you Mm -hmm. take this? It might Mm -hmm. make things easier or just, you know, saying things like, oh, it's going to be another 20 hours. Are you going to, are you sure you want to do this? Or do you want people Mm. that is going to be encouraging you and saying, Hey, you know what? This is really tough, Mm -hmm. but you know what? Mm -hmm. I believe in you. I believe you can do this. And I mean, if sport is not a good analogy, then we can even think of like completing a degree. Mm -hmm. We can think of, uh, uh, for example, starting a new business. You want people around you Mm -hmm. to be like, this is really hard, but you can do this. And Mm -hmm. so that's what I think actually birth preparation should really be. It should Mm -hmm. be that mindset shift beyond understanding the physiology. There really needs to be a mindset shift and how to get to that, you know, looks different for everybody.
1: Yeah. So I agree. And I'm totally on board and stand behind you. And I love this message. But being in China... And so many people around China, this type of stuff is not one, not the norm. Mm-hmm. And I do see it becoming more and more. But there are situations in hospitals that they don't allow, especially like a male into the delivery or the labor room or or even like, I mean, the past three years, nobody's been allowed, like not even... <laughs> like in the delivery room. So hopefully as you know, we're moving forward away from COVID, things will open up more. My question for you is how Can these people that are experiencing like they have to go to this hospital and they're not allowed to even just choose who's going to be in the room when they deliver? It's just like they arrive at the hospital and whoever's on call, that's who's going to be in the room and, you know, not being able to, you know, have their partner or even, you know, another like female relative or, or a friend to come and support them. What would you suggest in these situations?
0: So my thoughts about this is, first of all, I think that we need to educate ourselves about the systems in which we are birthing in. I think that 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 really Mm -hmm. needs to be one of the big foundations because understanding the hospital systems of where you are living, the country that you're living, maybe even your home country will allow for you to understand what options you have.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: Now, we have been living under quite extreme circumstances, especially with COVID. Mm-hmm. I know even in Australia, like women had to be birthing alone in an unfamiliar environment. Mm-hmm. I think that for the women that have had to go through that, I think, first of all, if there was a desire to not get an epidural or to go and have a vaginal birth and for those women that were unable to have the birth that they wanted for them to, first of all, understand that it is not their body that failed,
3: yes.
0: but the system in which they were birthing in, that is probably yeah. a very likely reason for the outcomes of their birth. Yes, I think it's really important mm-hmm. for women to understand that there is a greater context that they need to be looking into. And that, they are not at fault, and it is not because their bodies or them and the decisions that they made that they didn't get the outcomes that they wanted. I think that's the mm-hmm. first thing that mm-hmm. I want to say. The second thing that I want to say is that we live in a culture today where it is perfectly okay for us to spend money and have a wedding in Italy or mm-hmm. Bali. Mm-hmm. Or friends, or wherever your heart desires. But it is not the cultural norm for us to say, "Hey, you know what? Mm-hmm. My body, my birth, my baby, my sense of safety deserves for me to birth in a place where I feel safe."
3: Mm-hmm.
0: I mean, I guess this podcast is really for foreigners, right? Like for expats that are based in China.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: China doesn't allow for home birth, for example. So there might be women that are based here that's like, you know, I want to avoid all of these interventions and I would love to go home and be supported by my family and people that I know, but yet they might not even consider that to be an option because Mm -hmm. it just seems culturally so not the norm. Mm
3: -hmm.
0: And so I would say, you know, that understand the birthing system here. If that doesn't feel like it is a, the right choice for you, maybe mm-hmm. there are other options. I don't know what that looks like for each individual, but I do believe that in educating ourselves about the various aspects of birth beyond the, the classes that are offered at the hospital. And I would say even much earlier than the third trimester to learn about birth, learn about it as soon as possible. Mm -hmm. The moment you're pregnant, understand what that landscape looks like. There is a world of information that is free, paid, you know, on social media, in podcasts, everything is out there. But it takes work, it takes effort, it takes making really hard decisions
3: Mm -hmm. and
0: allocating resources and reallocating resources and maybe saying, hey, we don't need that 6,000 RLBs bassinet. (laughs) I'm going to spend that on a positive birth experience because a positive birth experience, a good experience means that you will transition into parenthood in a more holistic way and with more positivity. And at the end of the day, what the baby needs are parents that feel like they are empowered.
3: Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And then going through that empowering experience, they can move on to the next stage of now caring for this baby that's in the world right. more empowered. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. And, you know, I, I
0: came across a saying somewhere and it was postpartum is for life. Yep. And I love that. I love that so much because we focus with birth education and we focus on, you know, when we're pregnant to just think about the birth because, yeah, it's the dramatic thing that happens. Mm-hmm. It's the dramatic thing that happens that, you know, we have a reference point of because in culture and in media, that's the shocking scene, right? That's the thing that gets us. Mm-hmm. But there are no shortcuts to parenthood. There are no shortcuts for it. Mm -hmm. And I believe that the intensity of labor and the intensity and the opportunities that come up for our preparation to birth is a really beautiful and poetic
3: Mm
0: -hmm. mirror to what we need for parenthood. You know, the communication skills that we need to develop between ourselves, our, our partners and our care providers, everything that we need for when the baby comes. Yeah. You know, we need to learn to ask for help. We need to learn to ask for support. We need to learn to understand the choices that we have in front of us, whether or not those things are right for us and our children, right? Yeah. And it's the exact same skills that we need to develop when when we're pregnant and the same skills that we need to develop when we're giving birth. Yeah. And so I think that the way that we need to think about birth and preparation really needs to be Different. We need to be talking and thinking about birth preparation and not just birth education, but we need to consider the, the mental, the emotional, the spiritual, and the physical aspect of it. So there's a lot to learn and it's really overwhelming. And I remember when I was pregnant, like, you know, that was the last thing I wanted to do. I wanted <laughs> to cling on to what was left of my freedom. You know, I really, you know, like I wanted to spend every moment traveling and not being tied down because I knew that my entire life was going to change. And of course, the temptation will always be there. But I think that we would see a lot less in de- incidences of parental anxiety, of parental mm-hmm. depression, if we were better prepared and better educated about the link between birth and postpartum. Mm hmm.
2: So as a doula, I'm noticing that like many people are hiring a doula and kind of expecting that the doula just provide everything for them. And this is something that I've run into on different forums, like different doula forums as well. And I think that it's a part of our culture. Like I just had this discussion with my husband's company and some clients. They were talking about how the culture is now. I don't want to do the work. I just want to find a professional and just do whatever they tell me to do. In other words, like, I just want to find somebody who's an expert in whatever it is I'm interested in, just buy all the products that they buy and do everything that they do. And I don't want to do the work myself. And that's, I think, really similar to, I don't know, I guess I just feel like I see this similar thing where they're like, well, I've heard, you know, that I'm supposed to hire a doula. So, okay, I'm going to hire you or I'm going to have this doula. And then that's going to make my birth go the way that I want it to go. But, like, honestly, in my opinion, and I wanna hear your thoughts on this, the role of a birth doula, especially one that's hired in the last couple of weeks, you know, for a couple of weeks and then the birth, is really different from birth education classes, right? So, when somebody has done no birth education classes, I end up having to spend 90% of my time with them explaining what everything is what is an epidural what is an episiotomy what are the stages of labor and i have to spend all this time going through that and then we don't ever get to like their personalities and their coping techniques in the difficult situation and their communication styles between them and like all of this stuff that is really more like the doula work
0: i totally understand your point though because um Look, I think that uh, there's a birth educator in Australia, her name is Rhea Dempsey, and she describes the birth culture today as being one of like three C's, Uh, comfort, convenience, Mm. and comfort, convenience, and uh, what was the third one, I need to look it up. Um, but anyway, um, mm-hmm. let's just say comfort and, and convenience, okay. right? And so that is essentially what I also believe that the epidural to be. It's it's comfort, convenient, and I hate that I've forgotten the third word.
2: Culture. It could be culture. <laughs> just what we do.
0: I don't think it's culture, but basically, anyway, I think that what that really alludes to is that we – Don't value birth education because first of all, what really exists is known to most people is birth education classes at hospitals, right? Yeah. And the preparation that it talks about, I feel like is not enough. Yeah. Like I mentioned before, there is a mental, physical, emotional, and spiritual aspect of birth that I feel like that is, those are the components of really making an experience really powerful and really positive.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: And so, you know, it, what I really see birth education as, it's really about making yourself informed so that mm-hmm. you are you feel good about the choices you're making. Yeah. And it's not just about like, you know, whether or not to get pain relief and all of those kind of things. It's it's really just really understanding, okay, when something happens or when something unexpected happens, these are my choices. And I want to feel good about that. When people don't feel respected or when they feel confused or when they feel like they are being pushed towards a choice they didn't want to make, that is when trauma and frustration happens, right? Mm -hmm. And so a big part of birth preparation, I feel like is understanding that. Mm -hmm. Now, what I really see a doula's role is, is what it could really be, is that they are really the person to emotionally and professionally support you when you cannot make those decisions for yourself. Because we have to remember that when, when women go into labor, their thinking brain actually switches
2: off. And it should.
0: Yeah. And like, you know, if labor is working well, then biologically speaking, women really need to be just in their bodies. They shouldn't be making decisions. They shouldn't be thinking that is when labor progresses really quickly and when the body can really do its job. Right. And so a doula's role really should be, is to be, is to have enough connection and rapport with the woman so that the woman can be in her body and she doesn't have to think about all of those other things. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: And the doula can step in and, and help advocate. and Right,
0: exactly. So that
1: they can be the, the brain and the
0: voice. And I don't see how doulas can do that effectively if they are not given ample time and mm-hmm. ample time to kind of communicate and get to know the woman better.
2: Mm-hmm. I mean, I want to step in for just a moment because I think there's actually a pretty big, um, there's like two camps of doulas. One thinks that a doula should never make any decision on behalf of a client. That's the role of the client and the birth partner. Uh, and there's, I mean, for even just for legal reasons or liability reasons, but also just because you might interpret something incorrectly and then make a decision that the client then is upset with later. And then there is the camp that's like, you know, no, like you're supposed to know them so well that you can make the decision. I feel like my opinion is kind of a bit in the middle. So if I see something going on, so I need to have ample time before. First off, if I'm not also being the birth educator, then I need them to have taken birth education classes so that they already have like a, a basic understanding of the options and all of that. And then I need ample time to be able to sit down with them and get what their feelings are about this and about different things. And then when I'm in the moment with them, and I see something coming up because you're right. The mom's thinking brain should be turned off. So she shouldn't be looking around for episiotomy scissors constantly, right? Like she <laughs> she shouldn't have to be right. on guard the entire time. She should be able to trust me and her partner to be like, oh wait, there's the episiotomy scissors that they're pulling out. Doctor, could you wait a moment and then give the space then for the mom or the partner? You know, if they have the relationship, if she has a relationship with her partner, that the partner can say, no, we did not want that. He can step in or if it does mean the mom coming out of that a little bit to make the decision. So I feel like I'm kind of a little bit in the middle. I'm not like, I won't ever make a decision, but I'm also not like, definitely, I should make all of the decisions or I should make decisions so that they don't have to. I'm more like, I know what they want or what they desire. And I also understand that that can change during the birth. And so I'm aware of the situation so that I can bring their attention to it when it's critical. Does that make sense?
0: Right, right, right. Absolutely. But I also feel like that is also a part of the education, right? Like education Mm. that you need to be working with a doula or other care providers that is aligned with your beliefs and the way that you want to approach things. So some families don't want to be making decisions and that's okay. They want to give their trust to someone that can make those decisions for them. But it's, again, like, you know, it's about understanding and educating yourself enough to understand that there is choice so jumping off of that like a lot of people don't understand that they have full right to change care providers if things don't start Mm -hmm. going a way that they don't want it to go you know so for Mm -hmm. example like like you know maybe at 36 weeks your care provider starts suggesting inductions Mm mm-hmm And that is something that you really, really don't want. This is your birth. Your care providers won't need to live with the consequences of things that happen. That kind of, you have to live with that for the rest of your life. Mm -hmm. You know, so if something doesn't feel right, get a second opinion. Get a third one. Get a fourth one.
2: I also have heard from one person that she went in for the induction. So the hospital gave them reasons why they needed to have the induction that they went ahead and agreed with. But when they went, like they literally were checking into the hospital and then the the hospital retracted some of the things that they had promised ahead of time. I think, for instance, that her partner could be with her the whole time. I don't remember what the specifics were. Right. And they literally walked out. So they're 39, 39 and a half weeks. And they walked out of the hospital, went back to where they were staying did some research, found out what other options there were and went to an entirely different hospital and had the induction three days later. So like it's it's pretty much kind of never too late to change. I think that there's definitely pros and cons of that. You know, like you have For to sure. know what what your values are and what's most important to you because I think to some people, the idea of changing sure. the hospital that late would be terrifying and not put them in a safe place. But don't ever feel like you're trapped in a certain space. You know?
1: Definitely. Yeah. I try to encourage, like, at least give yourself like 30 seconds. If they're saying something like you don't have to say yes right away. I mean, take a minute, say, let me think about this and like take a breath mm-hmm. <laughs> and then be like, no, is this like it's very rare, there are sometimes, but it's rare that it actually has to be decided right there at that right, moment, right like right, exactly
0: and I, and I think that um again it, it's it's about making an informed choice, right? like and that's the thing. Unfortunately, we live in a world where care providers don't sit down with you and and go through with you the risks, the benefits, and go through you know all of these things in detail. They pre- mm-hmm. they, most of the time they present you with something that feels so urgent and feels like if you mm-hmm. don't yeah. agree to mm-hmm. it your baby will be in danger that is most of the time how information is presented and so it seems like you have to make a decision right there and then but most of the time you can say hey i need 30 minutes, I need 10 minutes, I need 30 seconds, I need Mm -hmm. to just take a little bit of a step back, breathe and think about this. And so, yeah, like you said, you're not trapped in any kind of situation. Like, you know, even though sometimes we are forced to make decisions that feel really uncomfortable and in a really short amount of time, I think it's really important to just take that little bit of a step back and to just assess And 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 really kind of check in with yourself to be like, how does this feel to me? Do I feel comfortable with continuing with this? Am I being pushed to do something that I don't want? I think that, you know, that's really, really important. And yeah, I I would say that the biggest, actually the biggest decision that a family makes in terms of their birth is actually where they're giving birth, because that will largely determine your birth outcome you know, and I see this so often actually in groups and things like that, where, you know, like when you decide where to give birth, even I did the same thing, you know, when I decided where to give birth, I went off the recommendation of one friend.
3: Hmm. And
0: it was because this friend of mine, she has really lovely children. <laughs> and I was like, oh, you know, if, If she gave birth there, it must be okay because her children are lovely and I love the way she parents. But I see that especially in in the groups here where, you know, the discussions around where to give birth is around the packages that the the hospitals offer. Mm
3: -hmm. But
0: what I would really encourage for people to do is understand the birth outcomes. Mm -hmm. Understand if there was a really high number of women that ended up with a C-section understand if there was a really high number of women that ended up with an induction. Mm-hmm. These are red flags for me now. Yeah, You know, like because women tend to talk about their birth experience and they tend to be like, hey, I had a really great experience at XYZ Hospital. And then the next sentence is, I ended up with an emergency C-section and they took great care of me. And I think that that is something that we need to really pay attention to and be aware of. Mm-hmm. You know, like a cesarean is a major abdominal surgery. We want to be avoiding that if possible. Yeah. I mean, the World Health Organization says that the cesarean rate for any country should be at 10 to 15%. If the birth setting that you are giving birth in significantly higher than that or if you are seeing a lot of of the same comments about that birth setting Mm -hmm. really think about how that applies to you Mm -hmm. because actually you know there has also been research that says that your birth plan is irrelevant if the system does not support what is in it yes right so Those are things that I feel like, you know, we need to take a little bit more of a macro perspective to really look at birth and the things that we need to be knowledgeable about.
3: Mm -hmm.
2: Mandy, we're just about at time. This has all been really great. And I know that we could just go on like forever about this. But is there anything else that you would like to share with our listeners today?
0: Yes, I guess a final note that I would like to end on and to share is you know, if you have friends or sisters or family around you that is looking into having children,
1: mm-hmm. encourage
0: them to start thinking about educating themselves about birth today. Yeah. You know, I think that we are starting birth education too late. By the time we are pregnant, it's so much to learn. Yeah. And so I think that what really needs to happen is that we need to just make birth a bit more mainstream you know, understand this knowledge about birth should be more prevalent and should be out there a bit more for people to understand. And so that by the time we get to birth, it's not such a surprise. And it's not so overwhelming with all the things that we need to consider and prepare. for.
2: Yes, definitely. Great. Well, thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you. No, thank you for having me. And Mandy, I think we're going to need to have you on uh, for your birth stories too, because it's very rare that I hear somebody talk about their first birth as being so empowering. Yes. Like that's a lot of times I feel like the story is more like people had a really rough first birth. And so then they're like, I'm going to change everything and do something different for the second birth. Right. And I think that's really incredible. So I want to hear, I want to hear all about that. We were going to talk about your birth stories, but we had so much other stuff to talk about. So we'll have you on again. Sure. Sure. Thank you.
0: Could I share where listeners can find me?
2: Yes, absolutely. Thank you.
0: Okay, great. So I actually have a birth education course um, that is going to be available on demand from May. Mm. It is actually a course that is intended for all women, not just women that are pregnant. So the course actually welcomes women to kind of understand their bodies and physiology. The course also talks about the culture of birth, uh, transformational pain. Yeah, I would invite uh, listeners today if they resonate with the things that I've been talking about to take a look at www.wearemakingmothers.com. Great. Yeah, it's a course that is complementary to other forms of
2: birth education.
0: Sorry, I can also be found on Instagram at makingmothers.
2: Great. Thank you. Thanks so much, Mandy, for being with us today and giving us your time and your wisdom and your experiences. And we look forward to, yeah, hearing from you again. Thanks to both of you. Thank you. Thanks, Ruth. Thanks, Jacqueline. Thanks, Mandy. Until next time. Next time.
1: Bye. You know, talking about these different drugs, and like when i look up at this drug it's like this is extremely dangerous like highly addictive and but then if you look at it in epidural it's just like this is a great way to give birth there's no it drives race. me crazy <laughs> like what